You are listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical church located outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin. And in order to love our neighbors during the COVID-19 pandemic, we are currently not gathering in person, but you can join us live online on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Bethel Covenant Church. We have a live stream every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening. Bibles, we're going to be looking at um, Ephesians chapter 4, um, and we're actually, today, um, I'm going to do something that I almost never do, is we're just going to look today during this at just basically one, one Bible verse uh, in all of Ephesians 4, but uh, there's, uh, there's some homework to go with it, because this one verse, I think, frames I'm going to knock that microphone over. It's going to happen. Uh, this one verse, it, it frames and sets up everything that follows in the chapter. Um, it, it's one way of understanding what it means to be a, a disciple of Jesus, what it means to be a part of the church uh, for, for the author of Ephesians, a, a man named Paul. And so we're going to focus on this one verse, but I challenge you, I invite you, after we're done here today, to, to sit down and read the rest of Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, but we're going to focus on the one verse because I think if we don't understand this one verse well, um, uh, we, we do the rest of the stuff in the chapter and we force it. And, and I don't think it, it works very well, if I'm, I'm being honest. Um, so we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but at Bethel, over the last few weeks, we, we've kind of started a, a new uh, sermon series. And, and we're talking about um, how, you know, it's sad to say it, the truth is we live in an incredibly divided time. Uh, we live in a, a time where all of us feel like um, we have to find a side or a camp and jump on it and be full-throated supporters of whatever that is. And, and everybody else that's not on our side in our camp uh, or agrees with us on whatever that thing is, uh, they, you know, we kind of condemn everyone else. Um, and we talked about all the different uh, fault lines. And I think in our culture, especially... Uh, just everything you can possibly disagree on becomes a fault line, uh, becomes a place where you can decide, okay, uh, we're good, those of us that think this way, and they're, they're bad. You know, we talked about the, the, deep, um, the deep, serious divides in our culture between, you know, good people and people that like pineapple on their pizza last week, right? Sorry, dowdies. No, um, but seriously, whatever it is, it doesn't seem to matter. Whatever it is, uh, we're ready to, to push off and cast away, and and it's interesting because we talked about this last Sunday, but from God's perspective, you know, there are only two kinds of people in the world. There are those in Christ and those Christ is pursuing. And while the evil one leads us towards uh, division and polarization and chaos on the one side, and sometimes I think the evil one leads us to, um, in the church, to have easy, meaningless peace, or conflict denial, or even uh, enforced uh, uniformity. While, while the evil one tries to divide or diminish our coming together, God calls us uh, to unity. And unity that doesn't come from uniformity, uh, but unity that's actually strengthened by our difference. Uh, 
and it's united around the cross. And, and I think we're called, uh, and God is trying to grow in us the ability to walk hand in hand because we agree on the most important things, even when we don't see eye to eye on all of the details. And so because of that, because of that call, at Bethel a number of years ago, uh, we actually sat down around tables and developed a, a document that was designed to kind of help us do that, help us come together even though we're different and stay together. And we call that our, our relational covenant. And so over the next few weeks, we're actually looking at the, the different points of that tool. There are five statements in that relational covenant. Um, and the goal of that document, it's based in scripture and it's designed to help us do that, to hold hand in hand even when we don't see eye to eye. Uh, and it's a good thing that we sat down and did this a few years ago because I believe now, uh, not just in our church, but in our world, is kind of the time to kind of break the glass <laughs> and pull that document out. Uh, because uh, we are, you know, that document is rooted in the desire to unite when the world says divide. And so we're going to go through these five choices. The document is just five choices that we can make, five countercultural choices that we can make in our homes, uh, in, in our church, in our workplaces, in our families, in our community. And if we make these five choices consistently in our relationships, it leads to unity um, in diversity rather than uniformity or division. And so this week we're looking at the first statement. And I'm going to share uh, this document on the Facebook page so you can see the whole thing, because I'm sure you don't have a copy with it, of it at home anymore. But um, the first statement is, is this. We say, as people of Bethel Covenant Church, we choose to uh, respect and honor one another, the pastoral staff and the lay leaders, by building each other up instead of tearing down. Um, that's our, our first statement. We say, you know what, at Bethel, we know what the rest of the world is like. We know what our families are like. Um, we know how divided and chaotic the world is. But here, when we come together as the church, and, and I'd encourage you and your families too, uh, we are going to dedicate ourselves to building up rather than tearing down. And this seems obvious. This seems easy. Paul talks about it towards the end of Ephesians 4. So you'll, you'll see it if you, if you read it. Um, this seems easy, but the reality is we live in a culture that is obsessed with finding ways to tear down, isn't it? Right? Uh, it's much easier to tear down than it is to build up. You know, I'm an, I'm an expert at it. When I meet somebody uh, that feels differently about something, uh, my mind, I just immediately assume the worst, right? Oh, what? How could they possibly think that? Or, or we, we go straight for the hypocrisy in others' thinking, right? Or, or maybe we discover the mistake that they made or the, or the failure of someone else, and we say, oh, you believe that? Well, don't you know this person said this, and, and how could you possibly be a good person and, and think that way? And, you know, and sometimes I think this hits us everywhere. At work, um, rather than encouraging people who are doing a great job, um, we spend all our time thinking about and condemning the, like, one person that never does anything, right? Right? Um, we're way better at dragging down the people that cause problems than we are at celebrating the people that, that do good. In, in politics, uh, we vote um, based not on hope that we might elect a good leader, and I mean it at all levels of politics, but, but based on who we hate more than the other. <laughs> what a world we live in. You know, when we uh, hear someone we disagree with, we close our ears to that voice and and we start hunting for somebody that can repeat back to us what we already think. We would much rather tear down and separate than 
build up. And sadly, what breaks my heart as a pastor is that the church often follows these trends rather than, uh, than showing the world a different way. You know, at church even, you know, and even faithful Christians I know, you know, we sit, we come together and we shake our heads at, oh, the sinful world, you know, they're so messed up out there. <laughs> While we divide along the same racial, cultural, and political lines. But that is not the gospel, right? The gospel is meant to cross lines rather than be divided by them. So how can we be known as a people uh, where people are built up rather than torn down? Do we uh, just try and be nice? You know, do we smile more? Um, do we silence our disagreement? Do we uh, walk on eggshells, making sure to never talk about that issue or, or that topic or that person because then our, our unity is going to fall apart? Um, well, in Ephesians 4, uh, Paul uh, dedicates a whole chapter to insisting uh, that the church be united in a divided world. He assumes uh, conflict. He assumes disagreement. He assumes we're not going to see eye to eye on everything. He assumes that the church is going to be full of different kinds of people of all ages and cultures, and that we're going to face this temptation to divide or enforce uniformity. And so as you read the chapter today, I encourage you to be, be looking at that. You know, read it this week. I've read it a few times this week. Read it again because I think it's all valuable. It's all important uh, because it reminds us where, uh, what it looks like to be united. Um, but the very first thing I want to talk about is just chapter 4, verse 1. I'm just going to read that for you. We're going to read it a few times. And I, I believe that everything else in this chapter really flows out of this statement that Paul is making um, about, about us, or about the reader, in this case, the church in Ephesus, but, but us, us much later, um, because it reminds us where unity starts. Paul says this, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You know, after this sentence, the whole rest of the chapter comes, right? Paul will say, uh, be humble and gentle with each other. Uh, be careful with your words. Deal with your anger in a good way. Recognize that people have different gifts than you. He says all that stuff, and it comes out of, of that verse. That verse starts it. Um, but I believe that without uh, understanding and believing in this verse, um, all of our efforts at unity are just based on our, on our own strength. They're just earnest efforts at being nice. And so we got to understand I think what, what this means, this has been on, on my heart this week. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What does it mean to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received? Well, I think our clue is in the first half of this verse. In the first half of this verse, verse Paul describes his calling, doesn't he? He says, I am a prisoner uh, for the Lord. And, and if you know anything about Paul, uh, you know that this isn't a, um, a figure of speech. Um, it's not, a, uh, not just a kind of a code word for Paul's job or anything like that. Or, and it's not even necessarily something that, that everybody is. I think for Paul, he's, he's talking about himself. He says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. Because if you know anything about Paul, you know that he ends his life in jail. Uh, Paul describes his calling this way because he literally is captured by, by Roman soldiers. He literally is placed in, he's literally jailed. And, 
And as he lives his life in captivity, um, we never see him complaining about that or discouraged by that because Paul views his imprisonment literally as his calling. He literally believes that God put him here for a reason to do something in, in prison, in house arrest. In fact, he actually preaches the gospel to the people that are holding him captive. Um, and he, as he's traveling with them, as they're dragging him back to Rome, he's constantly finding ways to care for them, to pray for them, and to introduce them to, to Jesus. And so Paul really believes that God put him here for a reason. Uh, and Paul does this because he views every part of his life through this, through his identity in Christ, because he believes that above all else, wherever he goes and whatever he does, he does on Christ's behalf. Paul preaches for Jesus. Paul makes tents for Jesus. He walks places for Jesus. He's poor for Jesus at times. And yes, he's even jailed for Christ. Even his time in prison is just a part of, of this calling. And so this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, so I'm a prisoner, literally in chains for the Lord. You live up to your calling too. And, and this might not seem like a big deal, um, and, it, and it didn't at first to me, until you realize that uh, this is why Paul thinks we shouldn't be spending all of our time getting angry about what other people are doing or what they're thinking, or where they're going. This is why Paul says, don't bother comparing your skills with other people. Uh, this is why we're called to recognize the unique gifts and roles of others, because Paul has this truth in his mind. He knows that he has a calling, and his church has a calling, and we ought to spend our time trying to live up to that, rather than worrying about what others are doing. Paul is, is reminding us, he reminds me that we all have different calls. We all have different roles. We all have different journeys through life, but we have one God. And so Paul says, stop worrying about what he's doing or what she's doing and start worrying about being faithful to your call. So often our focus is just zeroed in on other people, what they say, what they do, what they think about me, how I can compete with them or compare with them or correct them? How can I help them be better uh, people, be better followers of Jesus? But it's not until we recognize that my call, journey, gifts, and relationship with God are different. They're unique. And I have to take responsibility for my call. Because we can't build anybody else up. We can't offer anybody else anything if we aren't following the call that God's put on our life. And when I realize that God um, doesn't want me to be the same person that he wants you to be, that God doesn't want me uh, to be reaching and caring for the same people that he wants you to be, it's only when we realize that uh, my journey of faithfulness is just going to be different than everybody else's that we are able to live into our calling and build somebody else up in following theirs. Um, because when we do this, we, we discover that our disagreements with others aren't battles to win anymore, but chances to learn. When we understand our calling, we recognize that someone else's thoughts and actions or beliefs, they, they don't actually challenge us. Uh, they can encourage us. We don't have to part ways. Instead, we can start doing what God made us for, 
and you can start following God in your life, and we can speak truth and even disagreement. We can even disagree and get in discussions and say, I think you're wrong on this, and instead of it driving the relationship apart, we actually build each other up in community. We don't have to focus on others' decisions or actions or behaviors. We just have to be faithful with ours because we have different calls, but one God. And eventually, as you read chapter 4, we'll be built into a body. Not a lockstep march, not a, um, you know, a bunch of widgets that come out of a factory, but, but a physical living body that stretches over the whole world, that one part of the body does what it's called and good to do, and another part does what it's called and good to do, and it, and it comes together in this beautiful way. Um, so I just wanted to share just one, one last uh, story um, from, this is from the Gospel of John to, to end our time. The, the very last conversation that Jesus has in the Gospel of John is between him and his, like, best disciple, Peter. Peter's always, you know, running out ahead of the crowd. Like, he's an awesome, awesome disciple. He has all the problems, but all the passion. You know, that's what's so great about Peter. But, but Jesus has one last talk with Peter. And, and it begins with Jesus restoring Peter as a disciple. Because if you remember, Peter turned his back on Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. And so he restores uh, Peter as a disciple by asking him three times if he loves him. Asking him to, to claim Jesus three times, even though back when he was on the cross, Peter denied him three times. And so the three times Jesus asked Peter, hey, Peter, do you, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, 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 yes. And Jesus says, okay, well, if you love me, feed my, my sheep. You know, this is what I, my call for you. And when Jesus gets to the third time, Peter's feelings are hurt. And he says, Jesus, you know I love you. And Jesus says, okay, then uh, follow me. And Jesus tells Peter, he says, Peter, I have to tell you, one day um, your love for me, your following after me is going to lead to a death like mine. He says, people are going to carry you to a place you don't want to go, and they're going to stretch your arms out. A difficult road. Jesus says, this is the road. Follow me. Peter is like us, right? He hates this idea. He's like, no, you know, my identity, his identity is still, you know, he's seen Jesus rise from the dead, but, but he's still, you know, after as much as he He's clinging on to stuff. Peter's still defined by what he has, what he does, and what others think about him. Even though he loves Jesus, he, like we do so often, wants to love Jesus, um, He's still obsessed with his earthly success, Peter. And so Peter's question is, but, but Jesus, what about him? I have to go to a cross like you, but what about, what about that guy? What's, what's his path look like? I, I care about his. When we're following Jesus, it's so tempting to point our fingers to others. Why can't I be like that person? Or why can't that person get their act together? To live off others' lives. But, uh, and Peter does the same thing. The same person that saw Jesus walk on water, uh, asked him, what about him? Jesus answers, you know, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? If I want him to have a life like this, what is that to you? For you, follow me. You must follow me, Jesus says. And that's our invitation for him today. To confess our sin, be set free from it, to be forgiven and promised eternal life, and to accept his call to be made by the Holy Spirit to follow him wherever he leads. If you would like to, to take that opportunity, if you'd like to take that offer, Jesus is saying that to us, as for you, follow me. If you'd like to accept that, I, I want
want to invite you to pray with me right now um, to accept that call uh, to follow him. Would you, would you pray with me? Father God, I am not good enough on my own. I don't have it all figured out, and I've sinned. I've rejected what you have in mind for my life, and I've dedicated it to something else. I've left your call on the table in favor of something else or someone else, but I'm ready now, Lord, to receive your grace and your purpose for my life. Because of Jesus who died and rose again, forgive me. By your Holy Spirit, make me new. And because of the resurrection, Lord, help me to trust in your eternal life. In your name, amen. If you prayed that prayer or something like it today, I, I'd love to hear about it. Uh, if God is working in your heart, if he's challenging in some way, I'd love to hear about it. I encourage you, uh, find that check-in link, fill out a comment card. We'd love to hear what God is doing in you at this time. Um, may we live our lives like we May we start with ourselves and out of what God is doing in us, build others up. Only then will we be any good to ourselves or anyone else. Only when we're true to God's calling on us can we ever hope to build someone else up. So at Bethel, may we start with I. What can I do? Where am I called? What is God asking of and then we build others up knowing that God may have a different call on them. Knowing that God may have something to say to us through them. Amen? Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can find out more about us and join our live streams at facebook.com slash Bethel Covenant Church. Thanks and have a great week.